Baijus is likely to be the first name that pops into our heads when we think of the words online education and edtech. While online education was once seen with doubt, Baijus has reported consistent growth in usership and the pandemic has given them a turbo boost. Welcome to Research Radio, a podcast by Economic and Political Weekly. I'm your host Abhishek. When founder Baiju Ravindran was asked about the remarkable increase in users his company witnessed during the pandemic, he attributed it to the power of online learning. Here's an excerpt from the podcast Learn It where Ravindran explains more. It gives students a lot more choices. Uh, it gives them the flexibility of learning whenever they want. It helps us to personalize based on data, understanding how they learn, how much they learn, what they learn, when they learn and that kind of helps the platform to personalize the next lesson not just based on what they like but more importantly based on their proficiency level so the personalization possible in this online format it's very beneficial for students fundamentally it also gives them access to uh, good quality content and teachers which uh, unfortunately it's not available for uh, most of the students especially in a country like india so solving the challenge around access and more importantly efficiency This is quite an attractive way of framing what Baijus has to offer and it's clear that several private players are increasingly interested in getting their foot in the edtech sector though. In June 2021, Baijus announced that it would be partnering with Google to make available its workspace with tools such as Google Docs, Sheets and more to Baijus users. How are both companies benefiting from this partnership and should we first understand how platforms work? If you see in the tech sector over the last couple of decades platforms have become more and more common that's gurumurthy kasinathan director and lead education and technology at the non-profit it for change the platforms began with pure information see finally it's digital technology digital technology is about information and communication that's why we call it ict also and platforms began with pure information processes like search engine google you know or mailing which is gmail we know google is a platform what is the meaning of a platform a platform owns the entire infrastructure and it tries to provide services to people both it can be individuals it can be companies it can be businesses but it controls the entire infrastructure so it is able to decide the terms of engagement google we know facebook we know facebook is also a pure information platform then platforms have gone on to real world issues like amazon for example e-commerce or uber which is transport so in all these areas what we find is if uber is a very good example so uber or ola they are platforms in which on one side you have the producers which are the drivers on the other side you have the consumers which are the individuals like us who hail uh, taxis as a middle person uber is able to dictate both to the drivers as well as to the consumers or the persons who take the rides and we see that more and more whether it's airbnb twitter or in every space we find that platforms are coming up and it was inevitable that it would happen in the education space also because education is a lot about information and communication so byju's if it were not byju's it would be some other company but the idea of byju's is the same idea as of uber and ola or google which is one of the initial platforms which is you capture the entire business so in platforms monopolies are important so byju's is a kind of a very large entity a near monopoly in the content space google is a monopoly in the basic in technology infrastructure space So naturally, it made sense for Google and Baidu's to come together, so that when they come together, they are able to offer the entire offerings. You know, whether it's a Google Cloud, Google is a you know one of the leaders in the cloud, 
whether it's content bytes is a leader in the content together when they come they will be able to give an offering which other organizations will find it difficult to match up to and they will have a natural monopoly or an oligopoly so that is why they have come together and the trajectory of byju and google will be the same as the trajectory that we have seen as far as uber and ola are concerned they are coming together is natural because their businesses complement together they are able to offer to a student or to a school everything whether it's a email or a platform for video conferencing so natural uh, coming together of two uh, players who intend to become a monopoly in the education space Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, that gives us a good uh, understanding of uh, what are the other players that um, have a similar model, at just at the level of platforms and how we understand platforms. But it could be interesting to look at, you know, what the implications are of of introducing this platform model in the in the context of the education sector. This is very different, and I want to just stress this because people may not be very familiar. A platform. tries to do to the basic market and business something which a normal business cannot do so i will give the example you know it's very easy when there's an analogy so uber and olas you know are in that space everybody is familiar with so when uber and ola began they would give very discounted rates to the consumer so if you have to hail uh, you know hail auto on the street you might pay 100 rupees but uber would give you or ola would give you the same auto at 60 rupees or 80 rupees and that is what is called predatory pricing so almost all platforms either they give the goods or service free of cost although it, there is a cost to them they will give it free of cost or they'll give it at discounted rates highly discounted rates which a normal business cannot do if a normal business did that it would go out of business and that's because a normal space is competitive a platform space is not competitive so uber and ola kept doing this predatory pricing until they were able to displace the regular taxis and uh, autos to the extent that they became peripheral and Uber and Ola became the de facto uh, you know choice for customers for consumers to take taxis on the other hand they squeeze the drivers initially of course initially they gave huge incentive to drivers they used to pay them more than what the you know they would have got by hiring a customer on the road so the customer also paid less the driver also got more so they were making huge losses and platforms always make huge losses and they take these huge losses because they want to capture the market become a monopoly once they become a monopoly they will start pricing in a manner that will fleece the customer so we are seeing that now for example where like i i'm in bangalore and i invariably find that when i book an ola i always end up paying much more than i would have paid then if i had hired an auto on the road but i have become used to ola now i have uh, and i also pay electronically it doesn't seem the same as when you are handing over cash from your wallet to the auto driver so i'm used to it i pay a huge premium and when i see my bill i find that the driver is getting a much 70% of it and ola is charging 30% for the platform charges so it's really obscenely high the you know in, we all learned in economics when we were in school and college we learned about how agriculture was impoverishing people because the middleman used to fleece the farmer and the middleman used to fleece the consumer of the food grain also these middlemen that we are seeing now which is these platforms they are maybe 100 times worse than the middleman we used to read about in economics so in education also it's going to be so i want to explain this as a phenomena it's not byju's as a company that is a problem whatever is the platform that wants to come into every space and we will see platforms in health we will see platforms in agriculture we will see platforms in just about every economic and social space that we have in our lives and everywhere the platform is going to do the same thing it becomes a power center 
and what Baidu's will do. Initially, it's giving uh, offerings free of cost. So, for example, the type with Google, they are going to offer a product which they call Vidyartha, which will be all the you know content that Baidu's has got. And they're saying any institution can take this free of cost, just like Ola and Uber gave discounted rights to the customers in the beginning. Ola Uber didn't give it free of cost, but they gave it very discounted. Baidu's can give it free because in the case of Ola and Uber, there is a cost of the conveyance, which is the petrol cost and the you know the car cost. Baidu's is giving pure content so the cost is going to be much lesser once the customers come on board once people get hooked on to the free offering byju's and google will collect the data of these people they will monetize the data they will harvest the data and india like most countries of the world we do not have any data protection laws at all and this is very shocking which people don't understand at all that all the data that you are giving to these companies they will sell it to others they will hire it to others they misuse it and there is no law in the country that stops them from doing anything that they want. In fact, the malpractices have become so much that the government of India issued an advisory saying, be very careful when you approach ed tech companies. You know, recently, I think a month back or a couple of months back, government of India issued an advisory, which is very unusual because the government of India is very pro-tech. And they actually said, be very careful of ed tech. So Baiju's and Google will eventually, once they become popular, once they have you know more and more people coming in, then they'll start charging for their offerings. They will collect the data of the consumers. They'll monetize the data of the consumers. They will harvest this data and use it to advertise products to them. And one particular danger I want to point out here is here the customers are children. And we all know that when we, you know, I don't know, when we should take, when we all used to go to the market, if the child wants to buy something, the child will start jumping on the middle of the road and, you know, crying and make sure the parents buy it for, for whatever it wants, the parents will buy for it, right? So imagine Baidus is going to have a, hotline to this child and the Baidu's is going to be able to offer so many things other than the educational products itself. It could be a geometry box, it could be some uh, clothes, it could be some accessories. Eventually, Baidu's will diversify into those kind of businesses also. It's got a hotline to the kid in the family and this kid in the family is vulnerable to being manipulated by electronic means. So the future is going to be such that the child in your family, you're allowing access to a company which is a for-profit company, and therefore the possibilities of manipulation are going to be much more. We are all addicted to digital gadgets, so children are going to be even more addicted to digital gadgets than adults are. So the future of education, if this is what is education, the future is going to be pretty grim. From a pure addiction point of view, I'm not even talking from education point of view. And I think uh, the example that you gave about like the geometry box or other things that the child may want to purchase uh, makes sense because if, if they have data on what the upcoming exam is, what uh, scores are lower what are the pain points i mean this is really really detailed personalized uh, information that you know there's no regulatory uh, basis for are there any other like pieces of data that you think are particularly you know useful when it comes to the for profit tendency that we may see in the future actually this is already being seen what i spoke about just now was what i see as a future possibility and something that's likely to happen unless we have very strong data production laws the other thing that's already happening is Baidu's is able to collect the economic demographic profile of the customers, not only of the child, but also the parent, because the child is typically using the parent's device in most cases. When they understand the demographic profile, they understand the, uh, you know, psychographic behavioral aspects of the customers, they're able to package offerings which can uh, tempt the customer. So, for example, uh, they tie the parents who can't afford the actual product 
to into loan company so you want a multi year subscription for your product and that's going to be several thousands of rupees and the person who's maybe a daily wage laborer you know who really wants his children to do well in education because he thinks that's the only way his child will not end up like him right you can imagine very poor families that byju is you know reported to be targeting they are more desperate for the children to do well and byju the sales person can tell the parent that if you do this your child is going to make it and if you don't do this the child is going to end up like you and that creates a huge pressure on the parents and already because of the data collected you know what is the income what are the expenditure patterns of the family what what do they spend their time on where do they travel where do they work there is a person called zuboff you know she is an american academic and she said we are in she says we are in surveillance capitalism now so in platform capitalism because of the data collection it's also called surveillance capitalism all of us are under perennial surveillance everything about us is known to the companies and therefore we are vulnerable to manipulation and exploitation in the education space it will translate into making parents buy loan products that they really cannot afford and that is already happening today and in fact that is one of the reasons why the advisory was issued by the government of india saying that people are complaining that you know they want to cancel the subscription they are not able to cancel the subscription and the loan companies are after them to make the emi uh, pay the emis regularly so this is a you know a very sad situation because vulnerable vulnerable people's vulnerabilities are being exploited by information that is collected by the uh, technology giants mm-hmm. yeah i think this also ties together with uh, what you've written up in the article Uh, about how um, companies like byju's uh, uh, are you know uh, primarily sales and marketing companies rather than education uh, companies that you know the the first priority is delivering uh, quality education is is not the case uh, here uh, despite this you know we we know that uh, the byju's often boasts about how it has very high retention year after year so people keep paying to use its services and you know some things that can be attributed to this are for example the disney's investment in byju's there you know they have really tried to increase the aspects about edutainment uh, which is you know combining entertainment and and education and gamifying education so how how what can we make of these trends uh, in in context of uh, the data that that they provide byju's provides this data that uh, they claim that you know people are paying year after year uh, for their service Yeah, actually, now I think your question allows me to go to a very different part of the problem. See, so far we have spoken about the economic aspects, the data harvesting, and the you know exploitation aspects. Those are really common to any platform. So it may be Baidu's in education, or it may be Google in the you know uh, map, or you know translation, or uh, mail space, or Facebook. All of them collect data, harvest data, and manipulate people. So that is one part of the problem. But what creates an additional challenge as far as education is concerned is, see, we are living in a very complex world, and we all know that uh, social media is creating huge problems for society by manipulating people even more. So we know that you know Facebook was used to manipulate the elections in America, in Brazil, in many countries across the world. In India, for example, WhatsApp groups are used to you know share fake news and create social, social and political problems. so in this uh, kind of a situation what is very important is education is the process of you know creating individuals who can critically think for themselves and understand what is fake what is not fake and therefore take appropriate decisions and 
that is the real purpose of education so for example in india there is i don't know people may not be aware but i would invite all the listeners to this podcast to become familiar with what is the national curricular framework 2005 that india produced so they are very great documents which talk about why do we need education in india see unlike other spaces education universally is acknowledged as something that's a public responsibility so governments invest in, in schools across the entire world in no part of the world no country is education as a market good so why does government spend on education why does government set up schools why do you say everybody should be educated it is not because you want to learn some specific topic in maths or science in a very atomized manner you learn maths and science and social science and you go through all these processes because at the end of the day you need to become a very clear thinking individual you need to be responsible citizen so the national curricular framework 2005 has a paper called aims of education it says that why do we want education not because you can go and get a job that's a very instrumental and a micro perspective on why education is required although that captures the popular imagination in india unfortunately but why education is required is we want good human beings we want thinking feeling human beings who are able to come out of school and college and build a better society so education is the process of building the society of the future which you want to be better than the society that you have today and that is requiring a different kind of experiences so the experiences that you need that interacting with children and in the interacting with peers in the classroom understanding the value of compassion kindness empathy hard work politeness coexistence peace harmony these are all the ideas that you want the child to learn as a part of the education process solving a mathematical problem in a very instrumental way two digit addition or solving a you know a science uh, sum or a science question those are very trivial parts of education now the digital education or the online education that you know baiju talks about where you connect yourself to a system really focus on only the instrumental parts of education which is what i described see i am i'll challenge you what all you learned of your maths and science and social science in school do you remember today or apply today you hardly apply any of that you know 90% of that you have gone through and then that's it but what is supposed to be remaining after that process is the ability to negotiate life and that ability to negotiate life can only come when children interact with one another in physical settings mediated by an adult so simply putting children together is not of any use you need to have an adult who will be able to mediate that interaction by which children learn from the process i'm saying it this seems very complicated but you know this is what the aims of education national curricular framework 2005 talks about everybody should read it it should be mandatory reading for everybody every citizen of the country once you understand that that is the purpose of education we clearly can understand that what byjus is doing or what anybody is doing in the name of digital education or online education where individuals are connected to devices and not really to one another in a real sense you know technically you can do video conferencing and put 40 children together in a in a video conferencing platform but that is not the same thing as sitting together in a classroom and discussing understanding challenging negotiating having doubts clarifying that is the real learning process and complex values can only come through physical interactions so what is the bigger problem with the byjuses by diluting the understanding of education and by feeding into parental anxieties about my child has to crack that entrance exam and get into iit my child has to crack the entrance exam and you know become a doctor or an ias officer those are very narrow instrumental ideas of what education can do technology and digital education and byjus will only push us in that direction no no i i think that helps to understand uh, uh what the goal is of education uh, but since uh, i think the uh, the model that we are also seeing right now is based on you know uh, this the arguments about personalized learning um, and using uh, you know um uh, uh, what they say is that you know ai and ml which is like artificial learning and 
uh, artificial intelligence and uh, this machine learning you know which are increasingly being um, uh, argued as being neutral but where critics have showed how you know it's the, the neutrality is, is very questionable so what is it about fundamentally uh, how uh, the, the the mode of design is besides the aspect about physical presence uh, that uh, kind of affects the ability to learn fully I would like to clarify this point that I work in an NGO called IT for Change. You know, so my NGO was set up with the idea that IT can be useful for society and IT should change society for the better. So I'm not a person who's against digital technologies or, you know, I'm not a, what they call as a Luddite. So certainly we, we want technology to be used. But one very important thing to understand about technology, and this is true for all technology, it's not only digital technology. For example, if you look at dam, constructing a dam is technology. And every time you construct a dam, depending on the size of the dam, depending on the amount of water it is storing, depending on who is getting displaced, depending on who is getting the water and the power from that, the dam can do good or bad or both good and bad. But the good may happen to some people, the bad may happen to some other people. For example, the Sardar Sarovar Dam probably helped some farmers in Gujarat, but thousands of tribals in Madhya Pradesh had to give up their homes that were much. So technology is never neutral. Technology can benefit some people, technology can harm some people. And Neil Postman, I would advise everybody listening to this podcast, there is a person called Neil Postman. He, he, he's written a series of books on technology itself. And he didn't necessarily talk only about digital technology. He talks right from the time of television and radio. And he says every time a technology comes in, there are losers and there are gainers. And he makes a very interesting statement. He says the people who gain want to convince the people who lose that the people who lose are the winners. So it's, isn't it interesting? So there are winners and losers and the winner's job is try to convince the loser that they are also the winner because that's what will allow them to implement the technology. So even digital technology, there are benefits and there are losses. So for example, IT for Change, the digital technology that we think can very much benefit education is if teachers are enabled to use digital technology for their own professional development, if they become more aware of their subject matter, if they become more comfortable with different ways of teaching so that they are able to reach out to all the students that they are teaching, those are the beneficial uses of digital technology. It's called professional learning communities of teachers can be formed by using digital technology. Teachers can create additional you know, curricular material. We all are used to learning from the textbook, but teachers can learn to create podcasts like this one, videos, etc. So digital technology, when it's when you want it to be useful for education, if teachers are able to benefit from that, then they will decide how they can use it in their classroom. Now, the problem with the personalized learning, there are two problems with it. The first problem is that we, the conventional popular imagination of personalized learning is that the teacher is not in the picture. You know, so there is a each student, it's like we are sitting in the hospital in the ICU and we're connected to a pipe, right? And we get uh, our saline and we get our glucose from that pipe. The imagination is that every student is tethered to a device and the device is going to feed the student learning. But I already explained that learning is not happening in that individualized manner. There is a concept called social constructivism. So there is a very famous education psychologist called Vygotsky. And I'm dropping all these names because people are listening. They can actually look for these names, Google search, and get articles about them and read and get a much broader understanding of the issues we're talking about. And uh, Vygotsky said that learning is essentially a social activity. It is not individual. So if you, for example, you like Robinson Crusoe, you put a child in an island and give him broadband internet connectivity, the child might learn some things because of the internet, but the child will not get education. So we need to distinguish between being just learning some incidental things 
and learning what how to deal with life how to negotiate with life how to live peacefully and cooperatively and collaboratively with the rest of society that's what education is trying to do which is a very difficult job in today's time as you can see this personalized learning will take us further away from that because it is cre- it will create more individual alienated individuals we all know digital technology creates alienation right we all are connected to our devices we have lost the ability to converse with people we don't go and meet people and talk with them like you know maybe 20 years back people would actually visit people you know those kind of actual communal activities are declining all the time and this personalized learning imagining that you connect a person to individual and learning is going to happen because you are connected to a device that is a faulty the premise itself is faulty because education is social the other aspect of the problem is that education is about building agency so they say that one of the primary purpose of education is to convert the child into an adult the difference between an adult and a child is the adult has agency the adult can make mature decisions about life whereas a child cannot now to develop agency you need to have experiences that are new that go beyond the boundaries of your own experience of the past but artificial intelligence you know the term the it for change we uses we say artificial intelligence actually is a wrong term because it's really digital intelligence it's simply processing data of the past to predict the future now education is the opposite of that now you in some areas looking at the past will help you predict the future for example health data of you, of the individual could be used to predict whether you know he's uh, susceptible to a heart attack or susceptible to diabetes but education is not about repro- reproducing the past because the past in india has been one of hierarchy social stratification so if you're simply going to look at the tendencies of a child a child coming from a dalit family will have experiences which are probably different from the child that comes from a privileged you know savarna family a, a rich family a poor family is going to have very different experiences if the experiences of the past are going to predict the future of the child's learning you are going to find very commonly that a potter's child will be told that pottery is the best profession for it whereas uh, the rich person's child will get liberal education get professional education and get into some profession that are going to pay the child much much more which we already see that in india for example skilling has become a very popular thing in india what is the skilling the skilling simply means or vocational education is poor people's children do not need to aspire for the same education that rich people's children can think is their right so plumbing you know carpentry all those low paying occupations uh, beauty uh, parlor so low low paying and low uh, status occupations will be for the people who are already from the marginalized groups and artificial intelligence will clearly provide a scientific way to go there so i have written in my book i wrote a, a paper called making ai work for education in india see the title of the book is making ai work it's not that ai won't work so making ai work in education in india i have pointed out that our caste class gender regional disparities that we have artificial intelligence by looking at the past to predict the future will only reinforce those strat- uh, stratification processes and it will lead to even more inequitable and will and stratified society so that's a very big danger of ai that we must be aware of and i don't think ai should drive personalized learning of students there are other uses of ai it could be used for macro planning of education systems you know where to set up schools what kind of schools to set up what kind of curriculum to provide to teachers and schools ai should be ai normally will be much better off if it's used in a macro setting for education system or education administration planning public institutions planning public systems planning and not to be used for a micro level individual learning i don't think that is very crucial you prepare use ai to prepare the teachers teachers will know what to teach the children the system no device should decide what the child should learn mm-hmm. that helps to understand uh, the role that uh, digital um, you know solutions can provide because 
you know when uber and ola uh, gained uh, uh, dominance it, they 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 were you know saying that they were fixing a problem when byju's came in they were saying that they were fixing a problem uh, and and um, you know that the the aspect of that problem can be seen as can can also be worsened and i i think that based on uh, like the arguments also that you presented about how the social component of learning is so so crucial it may be fundamental um that you know it's not really about uh, how you can multiply or solve an equation uh, it's much uh, deeper than that yeah sorry uh, but can i to an ex- sorry, yeah please yeah. just for example that you gave actually reinforces what i just now said uber and ola will use ai to make their business more profitable how do i charge more to customers how do i pay less to drivers but the data that they are collecting about mobility about you know traffic patterns in cities actually at a macro level can be used for city planning what buses should be run where what roads should be built you know what kind of transport mechanism whether road or rail or metro uh, should be done what city planning should be done what kind of zone zoning regulations should be done the same data that uber and ola are collecting for their commercial purposes would be very much useful for urban planning in the same way in the education space the same data that uh, byju's will use for deciding what they call as personalized learning to make their own business more profitable could actually be used to support education system reform so i think ai should be used in terms of macro planning rather than in micro in both the cases yeah thank you i just wanted to make that point no i think that that helps uh, also because um, y- 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 the uh, the scale at which this is happening you know you keep hearing uh, 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 these platforms just talk about scale like scale 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 i feel like i i heard a, i heard an interview with the ceo of byju's and you know he was only talking about scale so i think it helps that uh, this can actually be used um, in a positive manner and i think this reason of of why they are repeating scale are the incentives that are in place because of you know what we discussed earlier about the venture capital uh, aspect of and to some extent you know byju's also uh, and other organizations have to respond uh, to criticisms and limitations of their model so you know you i, I heard byju speak about the importance of social learning uh, and you know recently they announced that they'll be creating 500 physical tuition centers across 200 cities uh, this year but you know we we through this conversation been speaking about uh, the the incentives that are in place and the role that education should play in society so based on this uh, trend what do you what do we see as the future of edtech uh, um, as of now because there there the, the, he's strong proponent of a hybrid model um, so is there a way that uh, you know these companies can get so big and then become uh, adapt to the criticisms but continue in the same logic that they were previously operating by Yeah. So the first thing to understand is, see, uh, as you rightly said, the, the venture capital model is the business should become a monopoly because that's the only way it can have the super profits that venture capital wants, which is not the typical a uh, business where you have normal profits and therefore normal return for the investor. Now, uh, therefore, when the venture capital funding is there and you need to get super normal profits, you cannot get super normal profits if you do business ethically. It's not possible. So. Uh, it is i would say that platform businesses cannot be ethical uh, which are which are commercial in nature because of the pressure of venture capital so they may not always break the law the problem with the technology space is the regulation is still far behind you know what the business practices are so even for example email if you accept that every human being should get an email why should we have to depend on google to get a get a mail just like registration of a name a mail id is nothing but a name you know so to that extent 
if i am able to have a public utility providing mail ids why, why am i giving all my data to google whenever i send an email today i gmail is free for me but i sell my i give my data away free to google sorry that just to explain that platforms are uh, will work unethically because they need to make super normal profits now even this 500 uh, tuition centers byju's is you know tuition is a problem because tuition is based on a wrong understanding of education that there are limited seats for you know get making it big into an iit or an iim or you know a national law school that is not education that really distorts the meaning of education and for the microscopic minority that actually get into these uh, different institutions the majority of students 70 80% of the students actually suffer because of this very distorted understanding of education that we have you know uh, the coaching centers create a 5% winner and a 95% failure in education nobody should fail right it should not be a situation that people became despondent because i wanted to become an engineer but i didn't get through to the you know iit je and i'm either in a terrible engineering college or i'm doing something else which i don't want to do so even the tuition centers byju's can only think tuition centers because it cannot understand education or it will choose not to understand education so the thing i want to make the point is we have seen that and i mentioned in my article also that self regulation is not a possibility at all so we need regulation so this future of edtech is very straightforward either we continue the current trends and just like you know businesses are at the mercy of google and it's you know as an individual we don't suffer google so much other than our data being taken away by them but many businesses have suffered uh, because google arbitrarily decides what you know uh, the advertisements that it will place on its own search pages it's arbitrarily decides them and many businesses have protested that google is unfair to them and you know there are cases in, in india about against amazon because amazon prefers its own products the platform you have amazon's products and competitors products and amazon will privilege its own products with the competitors so amazon is harming other other businesses which are uh, different which are competitors to its own products so self regulation is not going to work and if government of india and the governments of the world do not understand that edtech is going to become a problem if it becomes a platform it will continue the way amazon and google are with detrimental effects not only economically but also from education point of view but there is a silver lining in different countries regulation has become more and more uh, you know important so in america for example they're looking at breaking up uh, facebook whatsapp instagram facebook acquired instagram and whatsapp to become a bigger monopoly they're looking at breaking it up and they're also taking some steps against these tech giants who are all american you eu is doing something limited but the real uh, i would say the leader in terms of regulation is china china has already a passed regulation in last year in 2021 to say that edtech cannot be commercial and i i strongly feel that education is not a business education is not a market good education is a public good education is a universal good education has to be good quality for everybody we cannot have winners and losers in the education space and what china has done india should do the rest of the world should do which is say that you can be edtech but like it for change my ngo we are a non profit so not for profit are allowed in the edtech space edtech uh, entities cannot be cannot be for profit and they have also regulated the amount of time children can spend online because digital is necessarily addictive we all are addicted we know that and in the case of addiction the younger they age are addicted the more it has a negative impact on you so china has already regulated saying that only so many hours a child should be allowed exposure to now the minute i say this the tech companies will laugh at me and say that all this is not practical it will not happen how do you reduce the number of hours a child will uh, you know be connected to the net etc etc i would like to respond and say that always regulation is difficult any law that you pass there will always be loopholes 
you keep trying to overcome the loopholes by amending the law by learning from experiences and then trying to minimize the harm so regulation is difficult in this space but it is no means impossible the tech guys always talk about innovation we need to have innovation in regulation we need to have actual regulation that will enable the tech technology should be used for social good technology should be used for public welfare today digital technology's primary purpose is private profit and that is bad normally it is much worse in the education space so i would say china is a good example for india and the rest of the world yeah i think uh, that gives us a good uh, real life example where uh, uh, and also like in terms of some characteristics such as population um um where there are some several similarities um so i think that example really helps is there anything else uh, that you uh, would suggest in terms of you know things like community ownership which you explained in uh, the article or other um uh, practices that you've been uh, uh, working with the tech for change that you think are useful to understand how um education can can you know y- positively use uh, technology yeah thank you for that because you know when i said regulation and i said china uh, i'm sure the uh, listeners of this podcast will feel that governments are not necessarily you know uh, uh, i would say without flaws when it comes to using technology governments all over misuse technology we know governments in india misuse technology for surveillance and certainly china is also uh, you know guilty of using it, uh, technology for surveilling our citizens and uh, things like that so my suggestion would by when i say china is a good role model by that i am not at all suggesting that this we make the state all powerful and give it complete right to de- determine how technology should be because the state can misuse technology as much as a google or as a facebook or an amazon can so the solution re- really is not uh, both the state as well as the corporate are capable as powerful entities of misusing technology for their own purposes which will be against interests of citizens and communities so the whole idea of technology and that is one thing it for change work very strongly supports us support use technology for decentralizing use technology for creating participatory processes at a local level so when i say teachers professional learning communities i'm saying use digital technology don't make the education bureaucracy powerful you enable teachers which are the who are the workers who are the people in the community to use technology to become stronger let technology be used to build stronger communities of parents you know particularly the government schools the parents are not able to participate very well in the schools activities digital technology can create networks of parents for every school which middle class schools do it but you know government schools don't do it so technology for participation decentralization accountability transparency these are all peer to peer networks at a local level community ownership of data community ownership of digital infrastructure at a local level these are all ideas that are already being practiced so it, when i'm saying this it may look theoretical but there are many uh, movements there's an open education resource movement there's a free software movement there is a p2p movement all these movements are trying to say let us use digital technologies to empower the peripheries and to make sure that the corporates and the governments do not become any more powerful than they are so this third space civil society plus community has to be made stronger with technology that also should be legislated as a part of the uh, framework itself so the framework should not just give power to the state you know that is the way it has to go in the future this is what it should happen if we don't do that the more violence we see in society that will just keep getting worse and worse you know somebody called shiva vidyanathan who is an academic wrote a book that facebook is destroying democracy just like facebook is destroying democracy or google is destroying democracy baidu will also destroy democracy we don't want that to happen
thank you so much to Gurumurthy Kashinathan for joining us on Research Radio. I've shared links to both articles we discussed in this episode and I recommend reading them. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please tune in wherever you get your podcasts for new episodes. Share your feedback to us via any of EPW social media handles or email us at social at epw.in. Take care and thanks for tuning in. Thank you.